Praise God, praise God. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 2. I'm thankful that there is an uplift in the house of God tonight. There is a renewing of God's spirit, and I certainly want to feel his renewing and his touch. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 2. We call Tuesday night Tuesday on the Rock, but we leave it open that at any moment God can move in a great way. And so we're not just referring to this as a Bible study night, but Tuesday on the Rock typically is when we systematically try to look into the Word of God and be directed by it. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 2 helps us continue a vein of thought that we are talking about. And it says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. So it's not a negative jealousy. Because typically jealousy and envy are negative. It is a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For, here's why, for if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. I want to speak to you for a few moments tonight on this subject, separated to serve. Last week we talked about the highway of holiness. Tonight we're talking about being separated to serve God. Holiness is twofold. It is dedication to God and it's separation to God. It's both. It's inward and outward. You cannot disconnect the two. You disconnect the two, you could end up with some uh, confusion and distortion. They are connected. And so for a few moments here tonight, I want to talk to you about being separated to serve. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your blessing and goodness. We ask that you would direct us tonight. Amen. Let your word be a strength to us. We live in a world that's very, very interesting and always has been. It's the same system. It just reiterates itself in different ways through time. I pray that you would help us be who we are called to be, and that is the church of the living God. Living God, not a dead God, but a God that is alive and has commissioned us to do a work and serve in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. You can be seated. It's good to see everybody here in the house of God tonight on a Tuesday night. God calls his people to separation. And I've already mentioned it, but remember from last week, the highway of holiness that is prophesied about in the Old Testament includes separation and dedication. Holiness means that something is separated and dedicated to God. It is both inwardly and outwardly. At the conclusion of last Tuesday night's lesson, the illustration that Jesus gave when he was facing off with the Pharisees was that you have made the outside clean, but you have left the inside undone. You need to clean the inside and the outside of the cup and the platter. And so he was revealing to us that holiness is something that is inwardly and outwardly. A key element of separation is not removal. This is very, very important. God is not separating us to remove us. He is separating us to use us. As you have sometimes in history, some people have been so dissatisfied 
uh, with society and culture that they have sequestered themselves in monasteries up in the mountains and they have led a life of isolation and dedication to God that is completely separated from the society that they live in. God is not calling us to separation to, to remove us, but he is calling us to a life of holiness so that we can serve. This is very, very important. It's not removal. The purposes of God are still at play. He has called you and you are to dedicate your life and you are to be separated for the work of God, but it is to do something so that you have an impact around those uh, that you influence and that you connect with. A key element in terms of separation is boundaries. So it's not a removal, but it is boundaries. There are boundaries that we place in our life. If you have no boundaries, there is a blurring of the lines and that can interfere with the calling of God. If the lines are so blurred and people look at us, the church, and, and what happens in the, the medium of faith and trust and confidence in God, and it's so blurred that they can't tell a difference, then they become disillusioned and dissatisfied with church, and they will leave the church because they can't see a difference. I thank God that we serve a God that has called us, separated us, and he wants us to be different in the culture that we live in, and he wants to use us in his service so that we might be the most impacting that we can possibly be. I don't want to just experience the blessings of God and keep that to myself, but I want the blessings of God to spill out and spill over on other people so they can recognize there is something different, and that's what I want. I want something different. I'm not satisfied with the life and the world that I am presently live in. And you see this theme kind of being structured and built, and it happens very strongly in Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 9. In the beginning of the chapter, God is reminding them as he has brought them out of Egyptian bondage. He has brought them through the Red Sea. He describes that experience as bringing them out on eagle's wings from bondage. And so he calls Moses and he said, I want to meet with the people. And this is very significant. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 9, the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today, tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds, boundaries, unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall be surely stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. This is an Old Testament experience that touched powerfully in the minds of the Hebrews that God is holy and God is powerful and God is not to be trifled with. He is an amazing, sovereign, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient 
omniscient being and power, and he's so great that humanity should find some boundaries as it relates to that powerful God. And so there's some boundaries that are set. You don't cross some areas. You stand and recognize there is a boundary that has been carved out. This is a theme in the Old Testament of a God that is so powerful and a humanity that is so low, and there's such a dichotomy and chasm between the two that it's going to take something powerful to bring them back together again. Guess who brings them back together again? To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and hath imputed unto us the ability to be ambassadors of Jesus. Who could do it? Jesus could do it. Who could bring it together? Jesus could bring it together. I'm so grateful. If it wasn't for the work of Jesus, I wouldn't be here. But he brought the pieces together. <laughs> Hallelujah. Anybody grateful for the work of Calvary? Jesus did it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Jesus did it. Yes, he did. And he gave to us an opportunity to be grateful and certainly hopeful. So, <clears throat> praise God. Let's worship the Lord together. Clap your hands and lift up your voice and let's thank him. <clears throat> so, from the beginning here, we see that there is, this, this was not just an insignificant event, but it was to perpetuate that there needs to be boundaries. And in the Old Testament, we have some continuity and some discontinuity. And so when you interpret the Old Testament into the New Testament, there's some, some things that continue, that's continuity. It continues. And there's some discontinuity. The Old Covenant becomes something that was fulfilled and discontinued that became the New Covenant. So there's some discontinuity between the Old Testament and to the New Testament. We don't roll some things from the Old Testament over. So all the ceremonial laws and the dietary laws and a lot of other stuff that is in the Old Testament, the observance of the Sabbath day, it's all wrapped up in Jesus. And so we don't continue it. It becomes something of discontinuity. But in the Old Testament, there is some continuity because everything that we understand or recognize about the character of God continues because God is manifest in the flesh in Jesus. And so what you read about God is also connected to the New Testament and the work of Jesus Christ. There is a continuation. And so in interpreting that, you have to recognize how to filter what is continuous and what is discontinuous. Jesus used the Old Testament against Satan in Matthew chapter 4, and three times he said, as it is written. He was going back and using something that was continuous, the word of God, the scripture, and he was using it against the enemy that was trying to dissuade him from his purpose and his destiny. And so he said on three occasions, as it is written. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 says, Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. We simply cannot discount the Old Testament, but rightly interpret how it fits and how it is fulfilled in the New Testament. A couple of verses that help us further pinpoint this understanding. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 19 now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, 
but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth up unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So it's being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the Old Testament, and everything that we read in the Old Testament, like the passage that we have read from Exodus, which lays down the idea of boundaries, that is something that continues because Jesus is God. And so his understanding is that even in the New Testament, a New Testament believer has to establish some boundaries. Praise God. I'm continuing what Brother Demian preached to us last Tuesday because he was talking about living too close to the edge. It's dangerous to live too close on the edge. Therefore, there need to be some boundaries so that there is protection from falling off of the edge. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, and then we'll move from this introduction. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, Paul writing to Timothy, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So there is a continuation from the Old Testament into the New Testament. We continue things that reveal to us God's character. Some things discontinue because there's a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. <clears throat> Holiness is separation. And that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about being separated to serve. It means, if you were to define it in some simple way, it means to consecrate and set apart for some special service <clears throat> or ministry. See, God didn't set you apart to do nothing. <laughs> or to isolate you, or to remove you from the equation of life. No, the gospel's bigger than that. He set us apart to serve and to be involved in ministry. Praise God. Where's Monroe? Where's my note taker? Is she here somewhere? Oh, she's in children's church. She's going to miss out on this because she would have been furiously writing down that definition. She's got her little sermon notebook, and she takes meticulous notes. Being separated to God means to consecrate and set, be set apart for some special service. Everyone say service. Some special service or ministry. Say ministry. We all have a ministry or a service that we should be involved in. It is absolutely impossible to God to fully bless and use his children who are still living after the flesh and their old sinful ways. Man. Nowadays, you can come into a church, they don't require anything of you, no repentance, no baptism in Jesus' name, no desire to be filled with the Spirit. You just come, and we're going to accept you and love you, and, and that's all you need to do, and you just keep living the same way you always have, and that's not good. That does not produce the ministry that God is trying to engage and activate in our lives. You can't do ministry if you yourself need ministry. You've got to grow in maturity so that you get to the point in ministry that you could minister to others because you have won the battle with your own self. You can't put somebody that's struggling with carnality in charge of a ministry because what you're going to get is carnality. you got to have somebody that's spiritual involved in a ministry so they can produce spirituality among the people that they are ministering to. Praise God. you get a, you 
You got to get your house in order before you do something. Praise God. You ever come across somebody that can tell you what you need to do and their life is just an absolute mess? It's upside down. It is an absolute disaster, but they're going to tell you what you need to do. This is a problem. And so God can't utilize people in ministry or service to the kingdom when they have allowed compromise. Now, compromise occurs when you've entered into a position and place of maturity and then God elevates you among the people so that you can be over a ministry. And so you thrive at that for a certain period of time. But because of whatever, life and boredom and apathy and things wearing on you, all of a sudden you compromise that commitment that you had in the beginning. This is a problem. That's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is someone that lacks a full commitment. You can't put somebody in ministry that lacks the full commitment to be involved in ministry. It's not going to go anywhere. Thank God at GBFPC, there are individuals that are fully committed to children's ministry, youth ministry. There are areas of the church that they have fully committed and said, I'm taking ownership of this. I'm going to be separated. I'm going to serve. We need to thank God for everybody that's in leadership that has committed to take accountability for it. Praise God. I, 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 I probably should not say this because he's not going to like this, but I'm going to say it anyway because I got the microphone. There's somebody that has given us years and years and years and years of commitment and faithfulness. They have been separated to serve. Every time there is a, a possibility of ministry and being involved, Brother Mark McAllister has always been here. He's been faithful, consistent all the time. You don't need to criticize him. You need to build him up and thank God. There's somebody every time the doors are open, he's just there. Praise God. Let me preach to some of you young people. You need to look at somebody like that, that is committed, fully committed, that takes responsibility and ownership over the course of years and say, that's who I want to pattern my life after. I'm not looking for examples that are going to fail me, but I'm looking for examples that I can latch on to and see God use me in the same fashion. Praise God. We need to thank God. Praise God. We need to thank God. For that kind of example and commitment. Amen. It's not just him. There are others. But I just well, I wanted to pick him, pick on him. Because he loves it. <laughs> so God can only use somebody in ministry when there is a full commitment. And they're not unequal in their connection with the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what conquered hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people where, here's separation. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. 
and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What is the key significant takeaway here? We can't be yoked to the wrong thing because that interferes with goals and values and love for spiritual truth. Say, well, I thought you said that we were not to be isolated. We're not. So, so this is where it takes some wisdom and the spirit of God helping you. It doesn't mean that you are disconnected from the people of the world, but it does mean that you set up some boundaries. And that takes some wisdom. This person can't follow you all the way around and say, well, that's okay. That's not okay. You shouldn't do that. Uh, that might have been blurring the, the lines, what have you. You got the, the spirit in you, the spirit of truth has to direct you and guide you. You may have friends that are worldly friends, and that's okay as long as they're coming your way and you're not going their way. There's a little bit of leeway there. I always like to draw a line somewhere. Like, here's a line right here. This is the boundary. So I may have some friendships, and there's some leeway there that pulls me in a certain direction, but there's a boundary right there. I can't cross that. If I cross that, then you're pulling me in the wrong direction. And so I'm trying to get you to come this way. Praise God. Come, come with me this way. Because when you come with me with this way, I'm thinking about good things. I'm playing games. I'm doing stuff that is productive, that is fun, that is, that is fellowship, that is connected to good positive thinking that's pure, that's right. And so I want you to come into my realm so that I can bless you because of the blessings of God that are on my life. And you're going to be changed and different from that occasion. But if I cross that line into stuff that you're doing that's of a worldly nature, it's going to drain the spiritual activation in my life, and I cannot do that. I will not do that because that's taking me away from the goals and values of the kingdom of God. I can't go that direction. I got to be really careful there. And so he talks about being unequally yoked. You can't be yoked up with the wrong things. God separates light from darkness in the beginning. And he separates sin and darkness from your life and brings light of transformation through the Holy Ghost. I mean, this is, this is, I'm not plucking this stuff out of the air. Look at this, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Who, this is God, hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God? Who? Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He does a transforming work and he separates an old power of darkness and confusion and dysfunction and he transforms us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There's a separation. Praise God. Our gospel is a gospel of separation. God's calling you out of dysfunction. He's calling you out of confusion and he's bringing you out of that darkness into his marvelous light. God separated the angels that sin. Now we're getting into spiritual dimensions. Apparently, in a spiritual dimension, there were some angelic beings that had the ability to choose. They had free will. They could make a choice. And so there are spiritual dimensions and earthly dimensions. And so in a heavenly dimension, 
he separated the angels that sinned. And this is a continuation of the separation between light and darkness, sin and transformation. He separated Adam and Eve from the garden because of their sin. They were separated and removed from the garden. One of the first recorded acts of worship, Cain and Abel, they brought their sacrifice. Cain brought fruit of the ground. Abel brought the first of the flock. God was not pleased with Cain's offering. He was pleased with Abel's offering because in the beginning there was a precedent that was set that when Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves, they used leaves. And it wasn't enough because the produce of the field and the soil can always reproduce. There is no death, but the, the death of the animal that he used to place skins on them died. So there was a precedent that was set. This is why he was pleased with Abel's offering. Cain was angry. What was interesting about Cain <clears throat> is God, God was not, he was displeased. So God wanted him to prepare the offering in a right manner, a right way, which all he had to do was make a correction. That's all he needed to do. But he got so upset because God was displeased and he didn't accept his offering that he got so upset and bitter and resentful that he killed his brother. There was a separation between the two offerings. Enoch, this is on more of the positive side, walked with God and he was not, for God took him. That's all the scripture said. God took him. That was in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 22. Hebrews gives us a little more information in chapter 11 and verse 5 and says that he took him because Enoch pleased God. And so there was a separation because I'm taking you out of this world, Enoch, because you pleased God. Praise God. That should be our testimony. Praise God. I want to please you so much that you, you separate me from the things of the world. Praise God. You separate me to serve. Abraham when he is called away from his country in the Ur of the Chaldees, he is separated from his family, everything that he knows, and he's pursuing the promise of God. What was the promise of God? I'm going to make your descendants as the sand of the seashore and as the stars of the sky. I'm going to bless you through you, Abraham. I'm going to bless the entire world. And so he separated him to serve. Israel later is called out of Egypt, and it's called out of Egypt to be a vehicle that testifies to the entire world and is used to speak through God's purposes that he promised Abraham. Abraham has promised this. Out of Abraham comes the lineage of Israel. Israel becomes the vehicle to a world that is idolatrous to reveal God's nature. Jesus Christ fulfills the Old Testament. That covenant discontinues, a new covenant starts, but it's the same promise to Abraham, Israel, Jesus, and then the church is supposed to go into all the, the earth and bless all people. And so from the, the entire corpus of the scripture is where God separates somebody to serve him. So having said that, let's just look at a few more things in the Old Testament that is there's very predominant about the separation pro process. One of the most particular ones is circumcision in the Old Testament. That is a separation. There's a separation between the Hebrews. They are circumcised on the eighth day. Paul, that's part of his testimony. He's very proud of it. And all the Jews are very proud of it. It separated them from the rest of the nations. And you get a lot of, a lot, a lot of very interesting stories. One of the most interesting stories of all is that as this family is growing and you have all these brothers who become the 12 tribes of Israel, they have a sister by the name of Dinah. 
Dinah goes into Shechem. She's hanging out with the girls in Shechem. And there is an individual, a young man in Shechem, that rapes her. Well, he rapes her, and then he wants her as his wife. And so he tells his father, I want her as a wife. I want you to, you know, make the arrangements, whatever we got to do, dowry, whatever, and, and, and make this happen. Well, his father comes to Jacob and, and asks for that. And in the process of that, the brothers, the brothers find out that Dinah has been mistreated and abused. And so now they're wanting to make this arrangement and make this agreement to marry. And uh, this, this, is, this is not good. And so they listen to that, become very, very angry. And so they manipulate and they deceive and they devise a plan. And the plan was this. We will intermarry with Shechem and our family, and it will be beneficial to both parties because of livestock and cattle and everything else and commerce, and we can marry and daughters and what have you. It'll be, <clears throat> it'll be great, but this one thing we, we're requiring of you, you have to be circumcised. Line of separation. And they said, well, okay, uh, <laughs> we'll take you up on that offer, and so we'll all be circumcised, and then it will be good, and Dinah will be married to this young man that is in Shechem. And so they're circumcised. And then on the third day, when the scripture said they were sore, the two oldest brothers went into the camp with their swords and they killed every male in Shechem. And they took all, they took Dinah out. Apparently they allowed Dinah to go to Shechem with this guy. And then they went into the camp, slew all the men, and then took all the livestock and everything and came back to Jacob. And Jacob said, what are you doing? We're in a land that is very precarious. You have brought shame upon my head. And he had to flee out of the land because of it. But the sons in defending Dinah's honor felt like something needed to be done. So there was a very strong line of separation that occurred in the book of Genesis as to that account. Circumcision was one of the things. The way that a foreigner became part of the Israelites is you have to be circumcised. Food was another way of, of separation. There was a dietary restrictions on clean and unclean. Wearing of apparel, plowing with animals, sowing seeds. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse number 5. I'll give you just a portion of this because you can see different areas where there was a distinction, a separation, a boundary that was at play. Everybody's thankful we moved off circumcision. I could feel that. Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 5. Relax, I'm not Brother Terry. I'm not going to bring up a young man and do an illustration. I won't do that. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse number 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. So even in this distinction between the sexes and the apparel of those sexes, there were boundaries. If a bird's nest chants, to be before thee in the way in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs, and the dam sitting upon the young or upon the eggs. Thou shalt not take the dam with the young, but thou shalt in any wise let the dam go and take the young to thee, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days. So if you come across a bird's nest and there's a mother sitting on the, the eggs, you could take the eggs, but don't, don't, trifle with the mother because the mother is going to be able to continue to reproduce you take the eggs for provisions but let the dam go when thou buildest a new house then shalt thou make a battlement for thy roof that thou bring not blood upon thy house if any man fall from thence 
Another great line of separation. Building codes. When you're building a house and it's got a roof, put a railing up there so that somebody doesn't get up there, falls off, and now their blood is, is required of you because you didn't do your due diligence and create a boundary there. Thou shalt, verse 9, thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with different seeds, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled. You, you can't mix seeds because it, the, what it's going to produce is, is not, you know, grapes or, or, or whatever you're planting. You can't have a multiplicity of seeds because that would be confusing and there would not be a crop that would come out of that. Verse number 10, thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Why? Their natures, they're two different natures. And so there has to be some boundaries and some lines and degrees of separation because if you put an ass and you put an ox together, they're going to fight. It's, it's not going to work. And you are going to go crazy trying to plow. Verse number 11, thou shalt not wear a garment of diver's sort as of woolen and linen together. Why? Because linen's different than wool. If you mix the two together, one stronger than the other, it won't last. It will tear. And so all of, all of these things are pointing out distinctions. I have in my office blue, blue on the walls. I got a blue sign, uh, a blue light special sign. You turn it on, it lights up. And uh, that's my favorite color. But also connected to that is just because blue is my favorite color. And now, okay, how, there's, there's, there's colorology in the scripture. Colors mean something. And so just like numbers, there's numerology in the scripture. Seven is the perfect number. So 666, six is a number of the enemy, the devil, Satan, the Antichrist. And you do the same thing with colors in the literature of the scripture. They, they have significance. And blue has significance. Numbers chapter 15, verse 37, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes after which you used to go whoring that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So the ribbon of blue on the garments was for them to remember and reflect every time they looked down and they saw the ribbon of blue. God brought us out of Egyptian bondage. And so I'm supposed to remember that. And then that also has significance even into the New Testament. If Jesus was abiding by this scripture or this passage here, and the woman with the issue of blood said, if I can just but touch the hem of his garment. So it also had some healing connection as well. There's a line of separation, degrees of separation. Marriage was also very, very important. You're not to marry the, the women of the nations around you or the men because they are godless, they are, they are steeped in idolatry, and this is going to bring confusion. This is not going to be good. Marry among your own. And we see in the history of Israel, individuals like Ahab, Ahab married Jezebel. Who was Jezebel? The most wicked woman in the entire scripture. What did she do? She brought all of her gods into Israel, and then they started worshiping Baal and Asherah, and it, it was an absolute mess. And it created many, many problems for the children of Israel. So in the scripture, in the Old Testament, there's all these degrees of separation. What happens when we enter into the New Testament? Are there degrees and laws of separation in the New Testament? Well, first of all, we've already established, this is very important, we've already established there's some continuity and discontinuity. There's continuity in the Old Testament because while some of these things are not as significant 
today, they still represent the character and nature of God. And so you take those with you into the New Testament because Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. And so why dietary laws and holy days and all that kind of stuff has ceased because Jesus is everything. His character and his nature continues forward. He's still interested in boundaries being established, and he's still interested in separating us to serve in the kingdom of God, to reach the world. And so in the New Testament, think about this, the new birth experience is a separation. The death, burial, and resurrection, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost is a separation. And it was established in the New Testament. The early church, the first church, preached that message. So what's happening today? you got a lot of different streams of thought of what it takes for someone to be saved and what it doesn't take. And where does this begin? Where does this end? We're still preaching a new birth experience and message. We're still preaching repentance. We're still preaching baptism in Jesus' name. We're still preaching the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We're still preaching in the oneness of God. And because of that position, there are going to be some that say, you don't have to do that. That's not important. That's not the way it is now. For centuries, there's been another church that has just said you could do something differently. Well, we, we, we need to be kind to other people, but we need to stand on the truths and doctrine that we teach and preach and simply say, you know what? I understand what you're saying, but what's more important to us is the word of God. I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm not God, but ultimately God has given to us his word. And so we got to stick with his word and we've got to promote that. We've got to teach that. We've got to preach that even if it is a line of separation. We want to preach it because we want to see people come out of the world and be transformed by a new birth experience and come to the house of God and be separated to serve him. Well, going to be some lines of separation there because you're going to run into people and say, well, what about my aunt? What about my mother? She was a godly individual and she was sincere and, and you're telling me that she's not saved. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a really, really tough question right there, Sister Rena, that you run into all the time when you're teaching Bible studies because that's one of the things that they want to know. Well, you can lower, you can lower the standard but the lower that you make it and you just include everybody, now you've got a problem because you blurred the lines. And so you gotta come, you, you gotta come up with wise words. Now, back in another generation, <laughs> it was just hit you right between the eyes. But this is what I say. This is what I say. You know what? I don't understand everything, and God is a big God, He's a sovereign God. And there's a lot of things that I would rather just let God deal with because it's not my, my, my business to be the judge, jury, and executioner. That's God's business. But I will say this. Look at all of these instances where people were baptized in Jesus' name. That's what I've got to preach and teach. Look where they repented of their sins, and look where there was an infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's what I'm sticking with. That's what I'm preaching. That's what I'm teaching. That's going to be a line of separation. Jesus told his disciples that they would be hated for his name's sake. It's a line of separation. And they were. They were persecuted. They were beaten. We are not to conform. What does that even mean? The scripture says, be not conformed to this world. What does being conformed mean? It means don't assume an outward expression, which is pattern after the world, and not after the regenerated reality as a child of God. 
If God has filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, then don't conform yourself to the world, but come out of the world and be transformed and separate yourself from the world to be used in the kingdom of God. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. What does that mean? That means God has separated you, dedicated you to the work of God. You are separated, but you're reaching out and ministering to people to do the work of God because you've been transformed. You're operating at a higher level because you're operating at a kingdom level, not on an earthly level. Everybody wants to operate on an earthly level. Well, when you get into that, you get into a lot of opinions. People will say this family had their opinions. People that are alcoholics and strung out all of, the, all of a sudden become theologians. But God has called us and separated us to operate on a kingdom level and to communicate from the heavenly to the earthly and minister to somebody that's struggling on the earthly. We can't get there if we're not in the heavenly. If we're in the earthly, we're operating by our own power. But if we're operating by the spirit of God, God can do things with us. Praise God. Is this all right tonight? Man, this feels really good. Separated to serve, I'm coming to a conclusion. As a matter of fact, the musicians can come. In other words, we should stop masquerading in the attire of the world in mannerism, in speech, in expression, in style, in habit. Why? Because we've been separated and called to serve. Now, let me just say this. Don't take that as if that's a drudgery. You're not going to win anybody if your lips dragging the ground. I've been separated to serve. It's, it's a tough chore. Nobody's going to be drawn to that. Huh? You need to step into wherever you go with a smile on your face, and people need to recognize, man, there is some, they should stop you after you come out of the grocery store. So recognize there's something significant different about who you are because you've been separated to serve. What's the difference? The difference should be in how we operate as the body. Now, this is, this is very interesting because this can be dichotomous, and I, I need to make this very, very clear. This can be dichotomous. People should recognize and see a difference based on the way that we operate in the body. Let me just set you back in your seat here for a moment. I've been associated with people that call themselves Christians that operate better among fellow Christians than some apostolics. Because we could have all the rules down, but if we don't treat each other like a brother and sister in Christ, then we've got a problem. Spiritual maturity in the walk with God is how we treat each other in the body. Somebody comes from outside and we got everything just lined up and we're, we look really, really good and they come into the church. Everybody's backbiting and gossiping and tearing one another up. You, you think that's a good example of Jesus? No, absolutely not. It's not. Did you know that's, that's very interesting? There's a lot of scripture about drunkenness in the Bible. And there's a lot of scripture about fornication in the Bible. Not being a drunkard and then not committing fornication. But did you know there's something that is greater than both of those, that is mentioned more than both of those? It's discord, backbiting, and gossiping. There's more in the scripture about that than the other two. And so if somebody comes in and, and sees our interaction and our activity as the body of Christ, we gotta make sure that, that we gotta make sure that we're doing that because that is significant. 
That's what we want people to see when they come to the house of God because they're coming in with a mess and a lot of times they're vulnerable and they, they don't know what to say and how to say it and they're, they're not very confident because they don't know if they're going to be abused and misapplied and misappropriated. They need to see a body of believers that say, hey, you know what? You may look at us in suits and what have you, but we don't have it all together. We're striving, though, for a prize, and God has brought us a mighty, mighty long way. And so we'll fight for one another. We'll reach out to one another. This, this is why we try to do our best to offer foods for, for people who, who have family that has died. Open our facilities. Be there because we're trying to be the body of Christ, and we're, we're trying to provide love when we need to. And that's something that's very, very important. So there's one side of that that's important. But it's also in how we present ourselves as well. How we present ourselves to our world and how we act among each other. That together makes a great testimony and represents a true separation to serve. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Praise God. Last verse I want to read here tonight is 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9 as we stand together. God has called us. He has separated us to serve. And he is a God That has paid a great, great price for that. First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past you were not a people, but now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. There was a line of separation between what you were and what you are now and what you can be. Anybody have a testimony that God brought me a mighty long way, separated me from a lot of addiction and stuff and difficulty and sin, and he gave to me an opportunity to give praises to him. Praise God. We are not supposed to be museum pieces. Oh, wow, look what God did for him. Woo, that was great. Set it up on a shelf somewhere and look at it. No, God didn't call us to be museum pieces. He called us to service, to do the work of God. You know what we need to pray tonight? We need to pray, God, help me be a servant. You know what we need to pray tonight? We need to pray, God, use me in the kingdom of God. Pray to have depth. Pray that there is a holy wisdom that can be presented, heavenly words to an earthly disillusion in the life of people used of him. Praise God. As we conclude and close out this service, we need to find our place in an altar somewhere with uplifted hands and we need to pray, God, help me find a place of servitude before you. Separate me for your glory and for your kingdom. Praise God. I thank you, Lord, and praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. We won't spend very long. Hallelujah. I love you and praise you. I want to be
is an elevated pathway. It's a road that God has designed and created. It is dedication and it's separating 